0: And everybody, welcome to The Swarm. Welcome to The Swarm. So this episode, we had the opportunity to interview Aaron Fruman, who I had the opportunity to meet about a year ago at a very interesting event. It's called the Pecha Kucha, which is a 20 by 20. You have 20 slides, and you want to go about 20 seconds per slide. And uh, basically, they just get a group of people, and they get in front of a crowd, and they just describe their story. And there's a theme, and our theme was failure. And then... When Aaron went up, he described his business, which is very unique.
1: It is. It's uh, it's called Uncommon Construction. Uncommon is unique to New Orleans. Their initiative is a non-for-profit to educate youth from different high schools in the area to basically join his diverse team to earn money. They actually earn money by jumping into the construction workforce and they do very various projects throughout the year whether it's actually building a house or building a deck and so at the end of the day uncommon gives these kids both purpose life skills all while being in high school i'm a huge fan of aaron huge fan of uncommon construction they're doing They're making big waves here in the city. I really believe that this model can grow uh, regionally.
0: Uncommon is really a direct reflection of Aaron himself. He's a very humble guy. He's very, very sweet. Um, He wants the world to be a better place. He had this epiphany in his youth that he really wanted to help the world, and we're very lucky to have him in New Orleans to get the direct impact of his passion. Yeah, he's doing it. So it's great. Um, Here is the episode with Aaron. Y'all are going to really enjoy it. He's a very humble, great person and a great perspective on the city and helping others. Hi, everyone. I'm James. And I am Seamus. And you
1: are listening to The The Swarm, Swarm, a podcast about architecture and design.
0: We're two architects at the firm Cicada here in New Orleans. The Swarm is an outlet that brings the world of architecture to the people. Our goal is to educate our listeners about design and construction by interviewing locals who are making an impact on their community. So, Aaron, welcome to The Swarm. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So, how did you get started in this nonprofit?:
2: it's a It's been a journey for me, I guess. Um, we can go back...
0: Go back. As long as you guys want. Let's, I think we need to go back. Let's, let's go from the beginning. I think
2: James got a little excited. I mean, are you are you even from here, Aaron? I'm not from New Orleans. Um okay. long enough I've been here in enough different capacities for people who are from here will tell me, Oh, you're from here. Right. But you, I also have been long been here long enough and in enough capacity to know like you're not from here, dude.
0: I think if you're here for like three months, <laughs> you're just basically from New Orleans. No, no that's
2: giving a little too <laughs> You got to meet the threshold of Yeah, I'm not even like... Wait, what's the threshold? It's like, you know... Your I
0: first, your like first it, crawfish boil, I think.
2: It depends no, on... Anybody goes here. I, yeah, for me, it was like they when I first came, they were like, oh, you've been here for six months? That's great. And then I was like, oh, well, still, it's not... I don't know. And then it was like six years was the threshold. Right. And then now, when people are people are starting to say ten years, as we see like more people from out of the city coming in, we're like increasing the barrier to entry just so that we know that there's like this commitment to the city. Um, <laughs> but I've been here off and on uh, in a number of capacities for since 2005, okay, um, and that's when I first came.
1: Uh, did Katrina get
2: you here? It did. Yeah, I was so the way that I came to uncommon, it starts earlier than that, and yeah. I think you know the way that I usually try and talk about. How Uncommon came to be is by kind of thinking about and examining some of my experiences when I was the age of the young people that we work with. Um, which so is which is how old? They're 16 and up. So okay. we work with kids they are enrolled in high school. They're high school students. Got it. Um, and so for me, when I was that age, when I was 16, I was... Um, I lived in with my parents, both my parents have postgraduate degrees, my dad's a teacher, or my dad's a doctor, my mom's a teacher. and um, I went to a Blue Ribbon public school in North County, San Diego, and I don't remember learning how to read at school. So that's my background. When it was time to apply for college, I never really it was never a question of like whether or not I was going to go. Um, it was. Just where exactly? Yeah, yep. and so I went to the public university that was furthest away from my house. Right, and so I went to UC Davis, North County, uh, California, or north north of the state, California. And um, I didn't really know why I was there. I was doing all the things you're supposed to do. I was I took summer school. I got an internship. I was ahead in my credits. I had like a good GPA, and I was going to graduate early. Um, but I had no idea why or what I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, that it had context.
1: You're kind of just going through the motions.
2: Yeah, and right? like I we mean. say, we take things for granted, but like I really was. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't think a whole lot about it. I wasn't particularly challenged by a lot of things that were there. And so then when I dropped out of college in my third year in this sort of quarter life existential crisis, I also had the privilege of being able to do that debt free. And when I came back to San Diego, and that was something that my family had worked really hard for, um, to have what, what that. What brought
0: upon the crisis?
2: What happened for me? It was, it was I kind of had this like out of body where I was like looking around and hovering above where my life was at that point, and it happened for me um, at winter break, but in my third year of college, and I was double majoring in psychology and political science, right? Because I was just like, oh, those would be interesting and easy classes. And um, so I went home for winter break to California and I was still in this like weird place of like evolving into who I was going to be, but I wasn't I wasn't evolving as myself, I didn't feel. And so yeah. I was like fitting into a number of boxes. Anyway, um, that was when the Southeast Asian tsunami happened. Oh, that was wild, and, man. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I had this just, it was just like, it was the furthest thing away from me that could have happened in the world. But it a quarter of a million people died just in a flash. Yeah. Yeah. And that level of disruption. And like, I just felt this disconnect, this dissonance. Right. And like, there are these like incredibly human things that are happening and I'm not experiencing any of it. And that was really, really disappointing. And when I went back to school after that winter break, I was there for about three days before I called home really kind of broken and was just like, I I need to come home. And that was rare for me. Like I, I, you know, I didn't really do stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my parents heard that and were generous with me and said, okay, well, come, come on back. And then when I did come back, it was, there was a lot. And I, we just were like, well, I'm not going back to school. So let's figure out how that's going to happen. So I had to, which um, that was
1: probably a pretty big deal to your parents,
2: right? I mean, yeah,
0: it sounds like you have great parents. Yeah, I do. do have so great they're parents.
2: listening to this and they don't hear me <laughs> say it enough. And so now they can hear me say it it's Live official. on the podcast for everyone to hear, <laughs> my parents are unwaveringly supportive and unconditionally loving. And, um, you know, w- where anybody else would have gotten mad or I. Hey, we spent this and whatever. They had right. this like understanding that like whatever money was spent on that learning experience wasn't going to be measured by the degree that I got. And that what I needed was um, encouragement in the right direction, enough that. space to like find my rediscover my sense of self and enough firmness to be like, all right, well, you know, you're here and now you should probably get a job. That year that I dropped out of college, I um, came across this quote that I share selectively. And now with all your listening audience, Uh, Arthur Miller wrote death of a salesman, um, which is a story of a mediocre man who always wanted better for himself and for the people in his family and, and an imperfect man. Uh, and wanting to and striving for a, a what he felt was like a better ideal, and I f- I heard it and I wrote it down and I kept it in my pocket for at least a year, and uh, he wrote this in a margin of Death of a Salesman, and it goes. The image of the aging and so many of your friends already gone and strangers in the seats of the mighty who do not know you nor your triumphs nor your incredible value. Above all, perhaps, the image of a need greater than hunger or sex or thirst, the need to leave a thumbprint somewhere on the world, and by admitting it, the knowing that one has carefully inscribed one's name on a cake of ice on a hot July day. All my friends, all my contemporaries were doing this other thing. And, you know, I had to learn how to become okay With doing something different, so yeah, so I had that thought in in uh, Chiang Mai, outside Chiang Mai, and they were like, "No, seriously, man, like, what would you do?" And I was like, "Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess if I was if I'm supposed to do anything, I'd build houses with high school students and use the profits to provide scholarships for the kids who build the houses." Come on, man! Come on! I (laughs) I was like, "Oh, that's what you do." All right. Well, gee, that makes sense. And so I realized, like, the organizations that I knew that were out there that sounded like it or looked like it or maybe had capacity to do something like it or whatever, they weren't doing that. And at least not in the way that I was thinking about it. And, um, and that maybe that was because I was the one who's supposed to do it. Um, if it needed to happen and if I was the one who was supposed to do it, where was I supposed to do it? And it wasn't in San Diego where I grew up and it wasn't, um, in Colorado where I'd been teaching but you know, here and we were coming up on the 10-year mm-hmm. anniversary of Katrina's. Well,
0: so give us the rundown. Why? If, yeah. what is uncommon? So construction. uncommon construction <laughs> is it's a, a nonprofit. It's a big
2: yeah, as a nonprofit, we use the residential home construction process to host an apprenticeship program for high school students. We take kids, teenagers from different schools around the city. They get paid above minimum wage as W-2 employees. They are not stipended or 1099. Uh, the cost burden of employment is on uncommon construction and of insurance is on uncommon construction. They get bonuses. They earn promotions for um, staying with us for multiple semesters and exceeding expectations and performance. Uh, and they also earn course credit at school as an internship for building a house in a semester. And, and, and what's the age range of these? 16 and up. Okay. So typically like 16 to 19. Okay. Uh, and then we, what's really unique about our model is that we are the general contractor. We are the licensed and insured general contractor. We are oftentimes the owner. Uh, Sometimes we build for a client. Um, But we, because of that function of our business model, we retain ownership of the culture, the tasks that our kids are going to do, so they're not picking up trash all day like I was. at. at They're not flagging. Not highway flaggers. They might jump in and out of that, but our young people are positioned as leaders of adult volunteers on the build site. And those volunteers are college students, educators, industry professionals, architects, designers, employers, not just anybody. We're not come one, come all. Right. And
0: how do the, the children, teenagers, or young adults come to Uncommon Construction?
1: Yeah. How, do they, how do they find they it? They
2: apply, but there's one other like, core function of our business model that I think is really important. Um, because we retain ownership of the job site and we're the general contractor, they're not working to pass the savings on to someone else. Um, we are not like a a true to the letter um, 80% AMI affordable Mm -hmm. housing Mm -hmm. builder. We partner with a lot of those organizations and we can find ways to contribute to that. We build fair market housing and sell it for a fair market rate because uncommon construction takes any revenue from those projects, uses it to support our program and passes that money directly to our apprentices. So when they get, like I said, they get paid above minimum wage, they get bonuses and promotions, they also get course credit in school, and any revenue from that project is used to match their paychecks with what we call an equity award scholarship, which they can use for further education, industry certifications, or the tools that they need for a full-time job after they graduate.
1: Aaron, you're three years in with the company. I mean, there's got to be some case studies, at least for you, from year one to now. I mean, are there, are there specific students that, that kind of stick out for you or where they're yeah. at in their lives now that you're like, whoa, this is, this is kind of bigger than me now. Last
2: amazing. week, we had a kid, Walter, who, or maybe it was a week and a half ago, this kid, Walter, who did three semesters with us, graduated from high school and is enrolled at Delgado. He had $1,487.25 in his equity award balance from three semesters, right? So we match wow, 50% amazing. of their earnings, uh, and they can do our program up to nine times if they get in with us early. He had that much money in his, in his equity award balance. The key barrier for him, as he's experiencing being out of school and trying to navigate work and life and, uh, and finding jobs, is transportation. He can't rely on RTA to get him where he needs to go. He can't lose an hour of the day to get to work on time. His family has one car that they're sharing amongst everybody. So he identified transportation as a key barrier for employment and education. He found a car on Craigslist for $1,500, applied his equity award to that car. That's awesome. He We wrote the check, and he added $12 and yes. 25 cents to he's it. He's got wheels. And now he has a car, and he can remove that barrier for himself. And he's getting the experience of developing technical skills as part of a team that's different from, he is, from who he is. He's getting exposure to industry professionals uh, and learning about them and their backgrounds and their pathways. Um, He's developing leadership abilities and soft skills by adults that he works with, giving, having the confidence in him to be able to execute directives and lead other people and give them directives. Uh, and he's getting financial investment f- as a result of his work.
0: Right. So where do you get your funding?
2: Good question. When we started Uncommon, we didn't do it with a lot of resources. We, it was, like, super lean startup. So, we didn't ask for money. We won, like, a couple pitch competitions that gave us enough to, like, buy insurance policies. Awesome. And just enough encouragement to be, like, keep doing it. Yeah, keep trying. <laughs> and so, like, we we went and did it and kept going. And it was a small step, you know, each step along the way. And we were in the middle of, like, doing a partnership with Habitat on a house. and um I had, we had just, we were in the middle of an Indiegogo campaign, or we finished an Indiegogo Mm -hmm. campaign, and didn't know, at least on paper, like, we probably would have figured out a way to scrape and make it work, and then, but, like, weren't 100% sure if we were going to be able to, like, get there, and I had a grant proposal out, like, it's just, like, tough, right? It's tough times, man. Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, you're testing, it's proof of concept at this point. Yeah, exactly,
2: And, and we had the benefit of someone else was paying for the construction, but we had to pay for, like lunch for kids and t-shirts so that they could have a sense of team unity and transportation to get around that barrier because we just need them to be to not have an excuse for being absent and to guarantee that they could be there we needed to pay them we needed to support their payroll and the project that we were working on wasn't generating revenue we were just lucky to have a job site we could go to so uh, one day I had some friends my old teaching partner uh, from Colorado was in town visiting and uh, I lost a bet to sing karaoke on Bourbon Street or yes. whatever. And so, you know, I had this wrong place, wrong time, right conversation. I went to this bar where I knew the bartender. He introduced me to some people at the end who are in town. They're from Kentucky. And he asked me what I did. And I said, well, I was like, oh, I'm starting, trying to start this nonprofit. This is what we do. And he goes, that's amazing. And I go, yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. He goes, he regurgitated back to me what we were trying to build. Uh And so I knew that he got it. And he was like, calls his wife over. He said, tell her what you just told me. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I'm starting this nonprofit that does this thing. She's like, oh, my gosh. We talked for maybe 10 minutes, right? That's it. Not very long. Right. He goes, what do you need? And I said, money. (laughs) And he said, all right, how much? (laughs) And I said, a lot. And he said, all right, well, what does it take to sponsor a house? Okay. And I said, I don't know, about $50,000. He said, all right, we'll do one
1: wow what? man that's amazing bar. yeah
2: they didn't even like talk about it they were just like all right we'll do one so i was like all right cool if you got a card gives me a card i that's sent him an amazing, email like man. the next day it was Wait, great what,
1: let's step back did you do karaoke that night after you did this after conversation? that yeah we went, went, you sang in front of i sang of people. Uh, springsteen <laughs> okay <Yeah. laughs> and were you like extremely elated after this convo no, while you're Spr- i was just all okay. my
2: friends were like wouldn't it be awesome if that guy gives you i'm like guys like yeah uh, that's not going to happen. Do you ever yeah.
0: think that your singing convinced him, like, oh, this bars. is the right guy? I actually dropped into uh, a different okay. bar right to where I knew Maybe the Maybe for the bartender. better then.
2: Yeah. So anyway, he emailed me back really promptly and was like, all right, I've looked into it. I'm ready to talk about supporting, traveling for the next few days, but well, let's talk on Thursday. Wow. Talk on Thursday. Listen, I know we're talking about, like, fifty or $60,000, but, like, what's the real number? What do you guys really need? What's the actual number? This is...
1: Donor man. We're going to just yeah. call him donor man.
2: And the owner, or the, and he, yeah, so he, he said, what do you guys really need? What's the real number? And the other Aaron said $300,000. <gasps> yes. And so we talked about what we would do and the plan, like how that would happen. And by the time we finished our beers, he just said, he was thinking out loud. And he was like, well, I could probably help you raise that or we could do it ourselves. And I'd have to get my wife to say okay, but... <sighs> you know, it's probably better for you guys if I just give it to you and then you can get more, help you get more from other people later. So yeah, why don't I just do the whole thing? Wow, that's amazing. Wow. So a couple months later, Donor we had a, a check presentation ceremony on the Holy job site. Holy wow. Wired $300,000 to us and we haven't looked back. Wow. And, it's, wow. and he's stayed connected and he's, you know, such an important advisor that I have. And Of course. Um, you know, it, I get so much from him. Beyond that financial yeah. investment, just the a, a real safe space to talk with someone who knows about like big, big moving parts from his business and experience and background so i I learn so much and I'm so much better at what I am that's when when I say we it's because uh, yeah you know, I am standing on the shoulders of a lot of people and um, they are pushing us forward of in in really meaningful and impactful ways.
1: Aaron, um, how many how many projects do you guys have going on in in a, in a given year? I mean, clearly this is year three. What's the scope or not scope, but what is the trajectory of like you know of a uncommon this year and now moving forward as far as number of projects per given year?
2: Yeah, totally. So we aspire to work with, um, you know, sixty to 75 individual students through 75 to 100 positions. Okay. And we work on a trimester schedule, so fall, spring, and summer semesters. Each semester, we build one house. Okay. And we're working to increase the number of students that we can assign to each house. Okay. Uh, while still retaining the quality of our program, the right. quality of the product that they build, and maintaining safety, like physical safety on the build site, um, and so we're shooting for about 20 to 25 students per semester. Okay. One of the ways that we're able to going to be able to do that is by this new initiative that we've started that your listeners will probably be interested in. And it's called Hire Uncommon. So this is where we can create differentiated program experiences where every Saturday we can pull off three kids four kids to go and do work for clients in the community fair market rate so we're not going to work for free um so we're not necessarily the best fit there um but you know you're you're gonna get good quality work and we're gonna go and do it and we're gonna just do it in a way that that fits our model Mm -hmm. so that's the number of projects like that we'll have right they range from as big as one of our 1700 square foot houses to uh you know a weekend porch repair that we're going to do for somebody, right? For sure. Who
0: buys these houses after they're built?
2: So we list them in the market. Um, We've done it where we've built for clients who hired us, um, partnered with other nonprofits who've hired us. Um, But yeah, if we're the ones who are the owners and builders, we list it for a fair market rate, uh, which is the important note there. We're what they refer to as naturally occurring affordable housing in New Orleans. One of the things that we find is that, um, we either have subsidized housing or gentrifying housing and we don't really have a lot a bit in between in between. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, you know, we are not in a position to price houses a hundred thousand dollars above market and let them sit there for a year in order to drag housing prices up higher so that we can, you know, we just want to be able to build the next house with our apprentices. Now we can't, we have the ability to leave it on the market so we can not take a loss on it. And so we can cover our costs, And we still have a philanthropy need to be able to do what we do. But our budget is supported 70% by earned revenue. Got it. And a lot of that is because most of the core functions and most expensive functions of our business model, paying kids, their taxes and insurance, their scholarships, that gets assigned to the house. So the house breaks even or needs to break even. Um, and then other things that we do on top of that in terms of culture building and curriculum experiences and things like that, we do um, through grants and philanthropy and donations. Well,
0: it, it sounds like, you know, you've established this business. It's helping the community. It's done everything you've wanted and more. What about you? You started huh. this journey as, yeah. as someone who was broken in college and you were finding trying to look for this path. Is this satisfying that urge or <laughs> is there something beyond it?
2: Um, I can't see past it. My, no two days are the same and no two challenges are the same and I have no idea what we will look like three years from now right. and what my role will be. Aaron, I've got
1: two more questions for you. If somebody gave you an unlimited budget tomorrow, what, what, do, you, what do you see in your eyes that the city could benefit from? Well, I
2: actually want to like push back on that because I, if there's one thing that Uncommon has taught me is okay. that all the money in the world won't solve the problem. Um, and I think what we need, we need to challenge ourselves in that regard. I think, I do know that there are things that just cost money um, and that we need to be able to do those. Like,
1: we do. That, that money is helpful, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's not really money, right? Yeah, the money it's, has to
2: come with accountability exactly, and it yeah. has to come with a strategy. And... Um, it has to come with follow up. And, you know, we have a responsibility as people who are engaging in social work um, to strive towards producing results and to make the case for why we're important, why, this is, why we're doing the work in a way that is having an impact. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't take an unlimited budget and give every nonprofit $100,000. Right. And I what I used to bristle at, like when I was filling out all these applications for grants and stuff is like, man, they're making me jump through all these hoops. Like those hoops are really important. And the relationships that surround those financial commitments are really important. And, um, you know, so I think that's I would I would probably identify five key impact areas um, that where I felt like we could really like move the needle on. 20 different problems that's awesome that are happening in the city and find like two or three organizations that are working within each of those impact areas and create some kind of like cohort experience learning experience collaborative sharing where they're not competing with each other for funding where they're not um, withholding information strategically because this is what makes them unique right um, right and that's you know I would I would really try and Deconstruct some of those things. It's almost like once you're once you're in the collective, we are all just going to work incredibly hard, using all of the skills and resources at our disposal to take on these issues. It's all
1: for the greater good. Aaron, we'd like to I'd like to end it uh, on this question, if if possible. Um, if you could tell yourself
2: one thing or a piece of advice for your younger self, what would that be? It's probably something I realize like through all these things, and then now I just say it to all of our apprentices. Um, whether they're leaving the program, or they're still in school, or they're not going to college, or whatever it is they're going to do, and it's um, whatever it is that you're going to do, do as much of it as you can. And for me, that was pretty much it. So whatever it was, sometimes I was like, you know, irresponsible things, I mean,
1: it, it, right?
2: And it doesn't and, have to be good, but go
1: after it. Yeah, and the
2: portion. So there's. Whatever it is that you're going to do, so it's not like prescriptive, but like you're going to be doing something. Mm-hmm. So if, even if that's playing video games, do as much of it as you can so that you can be the best one at it and you can be as good as you can be at it. And in that, like as much of it as you can uh, is also kind of an implication of like know your limitations um, and like what where your capacity is. So I have, you know, you were saying I don't stop, but I do, I absolutely do. So if you were to look at my calendar... Like there is nothing on a Sunday. Like I just, I just, I call it my Sabbath. There's like nothing there. And I'll use that day to do laundry or go to the movies. I'll spend the whole day at the movie theater. That's Um, good. It
0: seems like through all of this, you've learned a lot. And the most important thing is you've learned to rest.
2: Yeah. And learn where your boundaries are, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, you know, whatever it is that you're going to do, do as much of it as you can.
0: Great. Well, we appreciate you telling us all of your tales and stories and experiences, and we think you're doing something very unique in the city, and we encourage every one of our listeners to go to the Uncommon Construction website, to go to their Instagram and check them out. We will be posting things about that in the future, and uh, thanks, Aaron.
2: Cool. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thank you, And, folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I am Seamus. And I'm James. And we would like to thank our sponsors, Brew Coray and PJ's Coffee.
0: Be sure to follow us on Instagram, at The Swarm, and drop us a review on iTunes.
1: Stay tuned for our next episode.